reflection on the beginning of the day, the morning puja, the morning chanting, to recollect in your, to make it uh, something fully conscious. You, you, one can just live a life of perfunctory habits, uh, just obeying rules and going along with schedules and following the, the flock. Or you can determine to, to make your life much more kind of conscious, aware, uh, put some, breathe kind of uh, life into the form. And so in the meditation retreat, one can just go along with the kind of bells ringing and you're told to do this and you do that and or you don't do it but the one tends to be either just going along or reacting uh, to the conventions to the forms of that we we use or that you find uh, are part of your life the way you live. But also, we have this ability to to really uh, use these conventions as uh, opportunities to recollect, to compose, to, to collect ourselves, to remind ourselves, to dedicate ourselves, to renew our, ourselves in, in, our, in our intention, in our goals, or realization. Life becomes very uh, dreary and meaningless when we just go along just, just as a creature of habit, just going along with it, the easiest thing, never really bothering to, to contemplate it or question it or investigate it. To, to kind of renew yourself. A convention like morning chanting, say in the monastic life, is is always a renewal of one's intention and recollection of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha every morning. And uh, of course, that can end up being just another kind of monastic habit, which. Um, it's easy to do to just go along with it and to be half asleep and and just kind of drearily kind of going through the motions of monastic life. Or what we encourage is to is to really uh, say renew your yourself every morning. The sense of renewal, of beginning again, starting anew. Reminding yourself of of uh, the refuges in Buddha Dhamma Sangha and and of your goal of realization of truth, being free from ignorance and delusion. Some people, uh, Western people especially, come to Buddhism uh, through a kind of preference for its very rational. Uh, approach, psychological approach, and therefore 
um, the, it, it, uh, if it's pleasing to the intellect, the one's intellectual faculties, you know, like it, it's reasonable, sensible, practical kind of religion, teaching. But oftentimes this, this uh, keeps us very much on the uh, uh, forming opinions about, on, on the, you know, lo- uh, using logic and rational thoughts. Uh, we form strong opinions about what the Buddha taught and about Buddhism. And I've had Western uh, people on these retreats who take offense, take umbrage to the devotional side of Buddhism, such as the puja, the chanting, the, when we say to the Blessed One, uh, and using words like the Lord, the Blessed One, and words of this nature, people can be offended by that. And they, this sounds just like Roman Catholicism, or I mean, being disillusioned Christians, or uh, having an anti anti-Christian uh, uh, prejudice can also, one can take this along and see anything that smacks of devotion or religious ceremony as being uh, non-Buddhist or something that one doesn't like or doesn't want. But the effect of devotion, religious devotion, is, is not, it isn't to, to please the intellect but to open the heart the the feeling of life, the intellect is is unfeeling. If we just stay with our ideas and uh, and thoughts and opinions, we lack uh, sensitivity to life. We can be full of a kind of brilliant ideas about loving all beings, being compassionate, and being fair and just, and be very insensitive to the feeling of life, the people around us, the, the, and, and not be in touch with even our own feelings. We can see this as a common problem in, uh, in modern life, is people become increasingly insensitive because they're, they're, they're educated to think and be logical and rational and at, at the expense of the feeling of life. And yet, it's the feeling of life that is ultimately the important experience, isn't it? It's uh, how we feel about ourselves and the world we live in. So in the devotional practices, we, we collect the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, we, we use superlative language, like the Blessed One, the, the all-enlightened one, the the arahant, the the, uh, the these kind of expressions are superlatives. Yeah. The connotation is the very best, the perfect, the enlightened, the completely free, uh, and this ability to 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 use superlative words. Is a is a is a way of of say inspiring the mind when we use words like that. If we 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 feel a sense of 
of some, something in our heart feels uplifted or inspired. When we think of the Lord, the, the Blessed One, we, we're not thinking of, of, of a Lord in the House of Lords or of, uh, of a Lord in, in the sense of, of a, even of a sage or of someone from the past, a historical person. But the Lord as, a, as that which leads or is the, the master that can be taken both you know, as the Lord Buddha, as a historical teacher, and also in each one of us, that which is, is that which is truly wise and perfectly knowing. Because that's what we're we're tuning into, into into the realization of of that inner Lord, or the, that which is truly blessed in our lives. What is what is blessedness? What we use the word often enough, and they say a blessing, or what a blessing it is, or we, we, it's a common enough word, but the, what does it really mean? We can, we can contemplate this word. If our life is blessed, and we feel that we're being blessed, or the, that there's a blessedness to life, then that's an inspire, inspired we feel inspired by that, uplifted in our hearts. When we want to be rational about it, is is there such a thing as a blessed one? Really, point one out and give me give me the name of somebody who's blessed, and and just can you measure it with a with a with some kind of modern technology? Is there some kind of instrument that we could measure blessedness with and? and prove it and, and name two people who are so and and that is a rational doubting mind uh, that that only thinks in terms of of numbers and a, of kind of historical fact or uh, external proof but blessedness is 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 in our heart isn't it it's not, it's not something you can measure is no thermometer for it, or some kind of like electroencephalogram, or some where you measure your brain waves to see where, how much blessedness you have inside your heart. It would be ludicrous because it's something that is isn't uh, isn't measurable, but can be. But is the way things are when we when there's uh, when we're not caught up in selfish concerns or deluded mental states. So we find the more we let go of selfish interest and, and uh, wrong views and these, these obstructions and hindrances in our mind, then we begin to feel a sense of blessedness, of being blessed by life. As a mysterious kind of thing, maybe, Externally, a sense of blessings from, from, from the heavens. It can be put in terms like that. Uh, all the forces of goodness and benevolence and loving kindness in the universe, or just uh, that in ourself, which is, which is very loving and good, honest and truthful. 
the Buddha, the word itself is, is means to know that the one who knows, translated as the one who knows, or that which knows. It's a transcendent knowing. It's not, it's not knowing from acquiring knowledge about things. It's not like studying Buddhist books and, and memorizing Buddhist phrases and knowing all about the history and, and, the, and reading all the scriptures. It's not that type of knowledge. It's not knowing about, it's knowing the truth. It's intuitive, direct, profound knowing of truth. A Buddha image, say Buddha Rupa, like the one on the shrine, is a, is a symbol for that when we bow to the Buddha image, Western mind thinks, bowing to graven images. In the Bible, uh, thou shalt not bow down to any graven image. And of course, uh, those of us brought up in the Jewish or Christian religions, we, something in us, uh, that's engraved in our consciousness from from childhood, thou shalt not bow down to graven images. So, then we find ourselves bowing down to graven images. <laughs> but it's, it's the difference between, say, superstition and a skillful use of of icons and forms and symbols. Like superstition is is what is meant by thou shalt not bow down to graven images, to to believe in images as being powerful things or that you have to appease um, the Buddha. You have, by bowing to the Buddha, uh, you know, this Buddha Rupa somehow you're you're appeasing him and he's going to answer your prayers and this kind of thinking is is uh, is what uh, we would say bowing down to graven images, thinking that this image is, has all kinds of magical powers, like a superstition. You're put, you're projecting onto some form, some kind of uh, ideas you have, prejudices or superstitions. But in the uh, proper use of, a, of an image, say, in, in Buddhist uh, terms, is, is, not to, is, is not superstitious, but a skillful means to recollect, to remember, to be mindful, to contemplate. When, we, when you look at this uh, Buddha image, Buddha Rupa, it's, the human, it's, a, it's a, an art form that's developed through Buddhism. Uh, representing the human form, the state of uh, awakened awareness. That Buddha Rupas are figures, human figures, uh, that convey the sense of being awake. They're not asleep. They're not. They're not uh, kind of running away from things or or hiding away. They're 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 fully awake and aware representing the stillness and yet awakened state. 
that's possible for a human being. Noticing uh, European art, aesthetic art, and even religious art is much more passionate, isn't it? You go into a Catholic church and, and you find much more kind of passionate forms of Jesus uh, on a cross or, or the, the Virgin Mary. Uh, it, you know, oftentimes I remember going to, to one in Spain where cathedral in Spain where everything was was uh, full of kind of bleeding hearts and and uh, agonized figures and weeping uh, saints and these are passions of sorrow or ecstasy or some kind of of extreme emotional state and that has uh, I'll say just noticing the more uh, sculptures of of uh, various people or or artwork in the West. It's usually conveying the human form in a state of kind of being proud or arrogant or powerful. Men are represented. Male figures oftentimes presented as very powerful, domineering warriors. Or you get women of uh, statues of women uh, who either are very kind of uh, representing either very uh, you know, to arouse uh, that kind of interest in the feminine uh, beauty or conveying kind of haughtiness or, or arrogance or uh, you, know, you see some of these uh, portraits done a hundred years ago or several hundred years ago in Europe of women sometimes they look very kind of haughty and, and uh, supercilious. Or the women, or the fo feminine form is oftentimes, in, in say the Virgin Mary, is oftentimes a very beautiful figure of a more the compassionate, loving uh, example of the feminine that oftentimes is conveyed through the feminine uh, form as a mother. But the Buddha Rupa is, is a masculine form, but it's not, it doesn't convey aggression or it's not a warrior form. Its power isn't through, through mus musculature or uh, a kind of male power forms, but through, through uh, concentration, through being fully aware, peaceful and calm, still the inner stillness, inner silence, stillness, not asleep, not rejecting the world, not running away, but uh, the eyes open, seeing clearly. So when we reflect on it in this way, we begin to appreciate. It reminds us of that possibility, of that it's something within our human experience that's possible for us to be able to just be here and now, awake, alert, and not just caught up in the emotions, passions, fears, and desires. Uh, just helpless creatures, victims of fate, reacting to the, to the things that, that uh, happen to us through fear and desire.
Buddha's uh, mudras, the hand movements, or positions of the, the hands and arms, or, and convey various, various uh, attitudes of the Buddha. This one here is meditation, the hands together. Meditation mudra. But notice the Buddha Rupa, this one is, is the, the eyes are open, the, the, the form, a, a composed figure, the, the, the uh, flame coming from the head is a symbol, symbolic of enlightenment, isn't it? It's fire or flame, light, it's a, it's a symbol. We don't expect, uh, any of us, don't expect to see flames shooting out from anyone's head during this retreat. But this, this is a, the symbolism is like this. It's, a, it's, it's something to reflect upon, to contemplate. If you live with a Buddha Rupa, like I, I like, particularly, I particularly like this, this art form that's developed. It was, there were no Buddha Rupas at the time of the Buddha. He didn't go around making images of himself. They came several hundred years later. But uh, still, it's, it's a very uh, beautiful art form in its own right. Because if you live with, uh, I have uh, several in my, in my room where I live. And uh, it's just very peaceful images to live with. You look at them, they, you contemplate them, they remind you of, of these uh, very, of, of the meaning of your life, the purpose of your life. They don't arouse passions in, in me. They don't, uh, they don't arouse strong feelings. They tend to, to remind me of, to let go of things and to calm down and of serenity and peacefulness, non-violence, non-hatred, non-greed, non-delusion. Sometimes we look at Buddhist uh, art through aesthetic uh, tendency, preferences of good taste and, and uh, cultural preferences and aesthetic uh, biases. And that, you know, we can, we can see that whether we, we, we like it or don't like it on a personal level, but that, I would avoid doing that. We don't want to see Buddha Rupas as object da and kind of precious objects, antiques, and collector's items, because that is a, that's, a, that's not what they're really meant to be, they're not to, around trying to, to develop uh, a collection of Buddha Rupas of good taste and excellence that please us on the aesthetic plane. Because what we're aiming at here is, is using the form as a, as a reminder to internalize that form more within your heart, within your mind, than to be too concerned about whether it's uh, made of really fine material or 
of gold or of marble or whether it's the, exactly the most beautiful, whether it's not such a nice one. In uh, sometimes they, they, you know, they can manufacture Buddha rupas now, made out of glass, and you get these, the kind of gaudy, sometimes uh, uh, not very tasteful uh, representations of Buddha, and we can. We can be quite averse to it in, in the in the respect that it's aesthetically not pleasing to us. But then we, but I I prefer to use the Buddha Rupa no matter what it, if it's a very fine, well-made one, uh, or it's maybe a a kind of manufactured cheap one. It isn't really important because they. I use it as a skillful means for recollection and reminding. Because even the the the, the uh, ones that aren't aesthetically pleasing to us still have the same quality of the stillness, the form, the the uh, peacefulness. Because of this state we're in, of a sensitive sensitivity as a conscious being. These things do affect us, so we can we can we can ignore them or project onto them all kinds of superstitions, or we can use the conventions for recollection, for mindfulness. This is this is what we mean by skillful means. The, the Buddhist path is a is a path of to develop skillful means with our you know, as a human being living this life in in this state of conscious awareness and sensitivity from birth to death. This is what we can do, how we can say develop and cultivate and understand our own humanity and the habit realize the the kind of miracles that that surround us that we that are part and parcel of our life everyday life but which go unnoticed unrealized because of the tendency of a human being to just be conditioned and reactive so now just reflect on that make your intention to practice to keep the silence to Practice the meditation as best you can uh, to do the best you can today. Make it like renew your your intention for this retreat. Make your intention one to, to realize the truth. Whether you think you can or not is of no importance. Doesn't matter what you think. Make it uh, right now about yourself. <laughs> you think you it's possible or not, but. That, that's your intention, to be, to realize the truth and be free from ignorance. So that's why you're here on this retreat. That's your intention. So renew that intent. Remind yourself of that. That will help you to deal with and to accept and to use the, the kind of emotional reactions, habits and feelings that 
come and go during this day. And we'll give, put that in a perspective. Way of seeing it as, as the stuff that comes and goes, that changes, rather than as giving it such a, a highly personal uh, importance and impact. 